Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Plenty of well-known Christian authors, Matthew Fox, Richard Raw, and others have talked about cosmic Christ, which is this idea that what is in that, that what was in Jesus or the Christ element in Jesus is a microcosm for what is in all people and in all things. And, and then we're starting to get into the language that pagans would use, use, use. The Medicine Path podcast is an ongoing exploration into the intersections of spirituality, depth psychology, and psychedelics. The Medicine Path is a wholly independent and listener-supported project, so please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com forward slash medicine path or by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. You can find out more information at medicinepathpodcast.com. Now, here's your host, Brian James. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. On this episode, I speak with author and former ordained minister Mark Townsend, who left the Church of England to follow a calling to explore the earth-based path of Druidry. Mark is now an independent hedge priest who performs life ceremonies that weave together rituals and customs from the nature-based traditions of British Celtic culture. Bishop John Shelby Spong says of Mark, Mark Townsend is a Christian who lives and thinks outside the box of traditional institutional Christianity. In a time in which traditional Christianity is in a steep decline, it is imperative that church leaders encourage its pioneer priests to help us all chart new paths on which to walk into whatever the Christian or even the post-Christian future will be. Mark Townsend is just such a priest. If you've been following the thread of my latest podcasts, you'll know that I've been wrestling with Christianity for a little while now. After much reading and contemplation and many conversations with different religious scholars and practitioners, I found myself coming back to feeling like I'm some kind of Christian pagan. 
Over the years, I've found that psychological and spiritual growth doesn't happen in a linear fashion. It tends to unfold in something more like a spiral, where we might find ourselves returning to a similar place in our viewpoint, only this time with a more mature perspective and a deeper understanding. And this has been the case for me with my relationship with Christianity. So it was a blessing to find Mark's 2012 book, Jesus Through Pagan Eyes, waiting to meet me. In that book, I found kinship with other spiritual seekers who had wrestled with Christianity and come to a point where Jesus could occupy a place on their altar as an inspiring teacher and healer alongside the other teachers, deities, and perhaps nature spirits that speak to their heart. I think a significant part of the process for recovering from Christian monotheism in a way that doesn't throw out the divine baby with the dirty bathwater is cultivating an ability to distinguish between the historical Jesus of Nazareth, the divinized Jesus Christ of the church, and the cosmic Christ of the mystics, what Mark refers to as the three Christs. He writes in his book, Jesus the Christ needs reclaiming as a universal mythos, something far beyond Christianity alone, something that points us to what is outside of everything and yet also strangely inside everything. This, I think, is what some of us call the pagan Christ and what I've been calling the Christ beyond Christianity. In this episode, Mark and I get into all of this stuff and a lot more. So I hope you'll stick around. Before we get to our conversation, I just want to remind you that you don't have to wait so long for new episodes. You can gain early access to each and every episode by becoming a subscriber on both Patreon and Acast Plus. You could find links in the description below. Patreon members will also gain access to hours of yoga practice resources, in-depth workshop recordings, and exclusive bonus and unreleased podcast episodes, including my recent conversation with Dr. Rick Strassman, author of DMT, The Spirit Molecule. Currently, there are over 200 exclusive posts available only to patrons. Memberships start at just three bucks a month, and you can easily cancel at any time. You can go to patreon.com forward slash medicine path for more information. And if you feel like you could use some personal support on your own medicine path of healing, growth, and transformation, please check out my range of mentorship and counseling services at brianjames.ca. Okay, that's all for now. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with Reverend Mark Townsend on The Medicine Path. Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Lovely to, lovely to speak, Brian, and, and uh, thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. So if you could just uh, let us know where you're living these days. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm on the Welsh border in England, um, about 10 to 12 miles from the border of Wales. It's a, it's a, a very rural part of the country, uh, more sheep than people. Um, it's a lovely place to be. It's very laid back. Um, parts of Britain, like like everywhere, are, are very busy and hectic. But this is my life's busy enough, so I, I like the laid backness of the, the country surroundings. Yeah, hmm. yeah, that resonates with me. We live about thirty kilometers from 
Victoria, which is a which is a capital city of our province, but it's a mm -hmm. it's a pretty small city. It's uh, well now you know how cities expand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> kind yeah. of start to envelop uh, neighboring rural communities and stuff. So yeah. it's uh, it's like less than half a million people by far. Right, um, right. So it's nice, yeah, because so much of the work I do is. Uh, is contained at home, especially over the past few years, doing a lot of yeah. work with people online and writing and things yeah. like that. So sure. it's nice, nice to be in that natural so, environment. So, so not knowing Canada at all, I've never been, I've been to the US, but uh, so, so where, whereabouts sort of, um, are you mid, you know, um, where, where, whereabouts on the map are you? Yeah, uh, to the far left of the map. So right. we're on an island off the west coast of Canada Oh wow! Um, we're just across the water from Seattle and Vancouver uh -huh. in the other direction. Right. So nicely situated. Yeah, I think my grandmother she she grew up in Saskatchewan, which I think is on the the far oh, wow. other side. So, um, but as I say, I've never been myself. Yeah. Oh, that's <clears> amazing. <throat> um, my on my father's side, my great grandparents emigrated from Ukraine. They were uh, Mennonites. Right. So d during the Russian Revolution, a lot of people had to leave, and yeah. Saskatchewan, Canada, uh, was offering up uh, farmland, right, uh, for free or very, very kind of low cost to get yeah. allow these people to get started. And um, so, on my father's side, that's where my family kind of emigrated to. Uh huh. Um, mm. And so, I wonder if, uh, yeah. if our grandparents knew each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There are small communities Incredible. out there. Yeah, yeah, amazing. <laughs> cool. Lovely. Yeah, well, okay, so just a little background for uh, listeners and maybe for you mm -hmm. too. Um, on the podcast and in my life, I've been in this uh, journey of discovery, of questioning, of wrestling with Christianity and my Christian background. Um, mm -hmm. So on, on, on one side, like I was saying, my father's side, uh, they were Mennonite. Mm-hmm. Um, my father kind of disowned the religion. He was a child of the 60s and was more interested in uh, rock music and drag racing cars. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so very kind of secular life. And then yeah. on my mother's side, they were uh, Church of England Anglican. So yeah. I was actually baptized Anglican, but um, right. we, we didn't lead a spiritual life. Uh, mm. I would go to Sunday school because um, I mm -hmm. think I was interested in the stories and I think my parents were interested in getting me out of the house every Sunday for a while. <laughs> but uh, that um, that kind of spiritual impulse was always with me. And mm -hmm. uh, and recently I've just been going through this period of questioning uh, where Christianity might fit into my life. And mm. I had some kind of wild and unexpected encounters with this figure of Jesus and um, mm. what I think of as like a Christ consciousness mm. and just trying to kind of sort that out in my own life. And so I've been talking to um, Jungians, theologians. Um, for me, uh, I want to bridge kind of the psychological understanding with the mystical understanding. Mm. That's been a big mm. part of my journey. Mm -hmm. And so um Kind of recently, I discovered your book, Jesus Through Pagan Eyes, and mm -hmm. it was really great to find that book at this particular time where I'd kind of come to uh, a place of just relaxing into this relationship with Jesus that I have, which is mm -hmm. very much uh, seeing him as a great teacher and healer mm -hmm. 
and mm. having him as part of um, my kind of personal pantheon. Yeah. But not exclusively Jesus, because yeah. uh, so many other um, deities or spiritual figures have uh, really connected to me. And so I, mm. I want to honor them all and trying to mm. sort that out has been mm. a bit difficult. But in your book, I found all these other people who had also um, yeah. you know, st gone through this kind of thing and come to a place of uh, maybe resolution with it and kind of a relaxing mm. into it. Um, mm. So, yeah, it was, mm. it was just perfectly timed for me. So thanks for putting that book mm. out there. You never know who Lovely. it's going to reach when no. it's going to reach them, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was, uh, and that's, I think it's 10 years old now. So, um I was looking looking it up actually because the, 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 the we've got a similar sort of background I'm sure because I I kind of I was christened uh, baptized uh, Anglican as a baby then I I kind of grew up in a nominally uh, nominally sort of Christian environment I went to Christian school Church of England school that sort of stuff I then I then had a, a big sort of um, uh, I don't know whether it's a spiritual awakening or not, but I, I had a big sort of thrust into the Pentecostal movement, which which is quite a scary sort of version of Christianity. I think um, it, it sort of brought this this idea of the aliveness of of spirit very much into my mind. But of course, it's very fundamentalistic, so I so I didn't last very long with that. Um, and then um, one thing led to another, and I I'm sure we'll talk about this. Um, in in the future but um you know it, it, i kind of found myself drifting into paganism and um and druidry in particular um and then i was i was given an invitation i'd, I'd written a few other sort of uh spiritual books and, and someone from an american publisher llewellyn they, they got in touch with me and said do you want to do something about your pagan experience but bringing in some sort of you know, your christian background and i one of the questions that I've always asked myself is, is where is Jesus in my life and, and, and how do I relate to him as a concept and as a person? And I thought that was a great question to ask now that I was sort of right on the very edges of the church. And, and of course, I'd, I'd, let, I'd, left, I'd left the Anglican ministry because I was a priest for 13 years. I'd left the ministry by then. So it gave me, a, it, I was in a very free position to ask some of the questions I wouldn't normally be even allowed to ask and um yeah and you're right through through that book I was able to interview some fascinating people none of whom saw themselves as Christo-pagans um you know the, the, the kind of I, I guess I'm more um, happy with that term but these were full-blown pagan people from various pagan paths some some very well-known people who who gave me the privilege of being able to interview them about this Jesus figure because I, I you take someone like Janet Farrar, um, who, um, you know, very big name over here and, and in America, but but uh, over here in the UK, um, in in uh, Wicca. And I, she talks about the astral Christ. I'd, I'd read about this in her books. So I thought, you know, try and interview her. And she gave me the she, uh, a wonderful interview um, expressing, you know, what Jesus means to her as a, as a non-Christian pagan, so it was, in a sense, it was it was me trying to sort of see whether you could hang on to this Jesus stroke Christ figure as a person who's now in in paganism. Because I, I don't know about you, Brian, but I've noticed that in some forms of paganism, it's all right 
to have a relationship with anything and, and anyone, be it Ganesh or Kabbalah or um, deities of any religion apart from Jesus. When it yeah, comes it's to like Jesus. Every, it's everybody like, but Jesus. Yeah. And I find that like sad because there's so many ways. I get that. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Orthodox Jesus Christ is totally exclusive and, and therefore who could possibly know him apart from an orthodox bible believing christian but that's only a small part of the story you know jesus the human or christ the consciousness as you're talking about that that's there for everybody and just like you can get to know other historical figures um and other metaphorical deities or whatever so i, I just thought that was a it was a really exciting project and i'm still on that journey you know people ask me questions now what what, what about this what about that and i, I still haven't got the answer because I, I think it's a it's a sort of two steps forward uh you know one step back all the way of um of learning and, and then and then dropping the goal and then picking up again and you know um so i'm yeah still very much where that is Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can relate. I mean, um, it's uh, it's something that comes up for me every few years, it seems like. And, you know, I was thinking about this recent round, which has lasted over a year now, um, as like my uh, the fourth round of a, a wrestling match with this figure of Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh yeah and yeah. coming to a place where like i'm okay with this particular relationship like mm. I, the way before i read your book i was thinking of myself as a, a kind of pagan christian i'm mm. um, trying to find a way like to incorporate both uh to mm. allow for you know the the kind mm. of the polytheism mm. that's come to me through these strange experiences i've had working with uh, different plant medicines and through my yoga practice mm. and kind mm. of just being naturally open as a as a mystic type uh my mm. whole life so always mm. having very vivid strange and wild dreams and things like that mm. um but then there's this figure of christ who would come mm. to me in some of my visions and i'm like mm. god i don't want to deal with you man like there's so much yeah. kind of stigma um yeah. due to the past two thousand years of um, yeah. catholicism and uh orthodoxy uh, yeah. so really for me it's about it's been about trying to get down to if, uh the kind of how i've been thinking about it is like the pre-christian christ yeah like who is that figure outside of the church and all of the dogmas mm. and everything mm. else and uh there's something there's someone something very alive there still mm. which is uh mm. kind of mysterious and, and strange to me yeah i i found it very helpful to um to separate the figures of christ and jesus um, it's something that Orthodox Christians cannot do because the creeds were all about bridging the gap and and and, and particularly the, the very early, well, the creeds of the third and fourth century, they were about sort of cementing Jesus and Christ, um, fully God, fully man. And therefore, you know, you, you cannot prize them apart to, to see what each one means. But I think when you do do that, when you look again, I was given the freedom to do that. So when you when you look first of all at the the figure of Jesus pre Christianity, and I think you can get glimpses of him. Um, again, it was quite a surprise to some of the 
pagan readers of my book and Christian readers of the book to um, to learn about the, the quest for the historical Jesus, which has been going on for hundreds of years. But it's it's a movement largely within sort of um, thinking Christianity uh, to try to unpick the the Christian layers or the church's layers on the Jesus image to get back to who the original person might have been. And it's all very vague. It's all might have been rather than was because, you know, we can't really know anything. Um, but the the current the current scholarship I, I find really exciting because whereas a couple of hundred years ago the sort of person they they ended up with after this digging away was was not a very it's quite a sort of bland sort of figure the person that they're now talking about is almost like a shaman you know it's a, it's a it's a, a Jewish man steeped in his own culture and religion but but somehow on the edge of that and trying to awaken them to something that is deeply within them and present in the places where they've maybe not expected to find god or the divine hence he's such a radical figure and he's he's sort of um while on the one hand being fully within his culture he's also countercultural um and ends up obviously paying the price by execution um this is a real figure now this is all what they call the, the pre g the, the pre-easter jesus or the pre-easter christ and you can see glimpses of it particularly in in mark's gospel and, and the earlier writings it's not so prevalent in john because john is a very late gospel and it's very much more christ-centered um and then so if you put that on one side and then look at the the, the jesus christ which is sort of i think that what I see is the second person of, of the Jesus Trinity, um, which is the when you when you start applying Christ language to Jesus, I think you have to realize that that's come later because Jesus wouldn't have used that terminology for himself. So that's the that's the church in the future um, looking back at the story of Jesus and trying to make sense of it and applying the term christ and making jesus christ to me is, is perfectly fine as long as it's seen in a sort of symbolic way but what happens with that jesus christ uh, figure is it becomes totally literalized and then the things that that person says are made very literal and very exclusive so when jesus christ says in john's gospel i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father by but by me suddenly that's seen as therefore only Christians are saved. And that's where it gets very difficult with interfaith dialogue or with dialogue with pagans or whatever. So I, I, I can't possibly go there. That's not, that isn't, the, the, the Jesus of history would never have said such a thing. So I want to know how we hold on to, to those kind of statements. And, and I think you can, when you take that even further, and you start looking at, at Christ as a metaphor, plenty of Christian, uh, well-known Christian authors, Matthew Fox, Richard Raw, and others have talked about cosmic Christ, which is this idea that what is in that, that what was in Jesus or the Christ element in Jesus is a microcosm for what is in all people and in all things. And, and then we're starting to get into the language that pagans would use. Um, you know, seeing the, uh, I think the Druids say Nuifre, you know, the, the spirit in all things. And um, and we all know that um, Pan uh, 
polytheistic religions are, um, and, and pan pantheistic religions are, are very good at seeing deity, the divine, sparkling away in all things. And I think this is a, this is a glimpse of it in Christianity. Um, and I mean, there's just so much there when you start looking, and and then you start throwing in the um, the newly discovered what they perhaps wrongly call Gnostic gospels, um, Gospel of Thomas, which probably is as as early as the, the the four canonical gospels, and the Jesus in that um, set of um, sayings is incredibly I mean, it's more like a zen teacher than than a you know than a messiah he's he's, he's dishing out koans to confuse people and to, and to or to get them out of their ego um and this is of course pre-psychological <laughs> you know um place but using you know almost getting them out of their ego and into their self um by confusing their conscious mind um some of some of the sayings in in john in thomas's gospel are, are remarkable and the sort of thing that could keep you up all night wondering over. Um, so can yeah, you, so there's, can, can you lay one of those on us? One of those uh, Jesus koans? Yeah, th there's there's one that he says in, um, and I say he says because I think it is, it's pretty widely acknowledged now that they, just like the early sayings in Mark's gospel, Thomas, they probably do go back to him or something like. So there's one that says, um, if. Um, if, if a man can, if man consumes lion, um, then he be, then then he is blessed. But if lion consumes man, he is cursed. And it's sort of what on earth does that mean? Yeah, you know, coming from Jesus. Um, and I might have quoted that wrongly, but it it, it it basically saying that if you if if you acknowledge and work with your animal nature, hence man absorbing lion, and integrate it. This is very Jungian. <laughs> if you integrate mm -hmm. that nature then integrate your shadow then you will become blessed because you will you will you, your shadow will become um i suppose again in jungian language um you know fully integrated and and part of your true self whereas if you allow your 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 inner lion to eat to devour your man so that the, the animal to devour the human that's really saying your base desires if you let the shadow become um uncontrollable it's it's going to in the end cause trouble for you i think you could even add a third and say if you try to deny that shadow um it will become a big problem and that's again a massive problem in christianity denying the the dark denying the mm -hmm. scary denying the i had a, i had a one of my previous bishops um who was my last my last bishop um in the church of england he used to say God cannot look upon darkness. God is only light. And I just wonder where the hell that comes from, because it's so unhealthy. I mean, the whole point of Jesus Christ, the the, the story, and, and it is, is him embracing totally, fully the human mess and muddle to the point of, of, of going through a human death and to the point of saying on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's like almost the God image becoming so immersed within the darkness that he loses himself for a while now if that's if you're then going to say god can't look upon darkness i mean you can't you know what i'm saying and this sort of pure purity stroke we must be righteous we must be pure we must be it causes so much damage mm -hmm. um and again we see that in, in, all the time in in 
strict monotheistic religions. You know, the, yeah. um, All that animal nature gets uh, repressed into the shadow, which then yeah. um, kind of gathers strength and then erupts yeah. in uh, yeah. very destructive and confused ways. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. I love that, uh, that little koan uh, of, um, how's it go again? If, uh, if the man is consumed the, by the lion. Yeah. Yeah. If, if the, if the man, if the man devours the lion, then you will be blessed. If the lion devours the man, you'll be cursed. It's, look, look it up because it's probably, I've probably misquoted it, but it's, it's along those lines. Um, oh, I love it. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful, I mean, there's, there's so much, um, there's, there's the fabulous, um, they used it in the film Stigmata, which was a, a sort of modern horror film, really, but Christ, Christian horror film. Um, and uh, th th that was loosely based on the Gospel of Thomas. And there's another one where it says, um, pick up a stone and you'll split a piece of wood and you will find me, lift up a stone and, and I'll be there or something again along mm -hmm. those lines. And that's, again, it's it's, it's completely in the face of this doctrine that says you could god is only there god is inside that safe place that behind that veil in the in the temple or um i mean funny enough um you know that's that's one of the very images that, that the bible uses to try to destroy that image of locking god away inside holy places you know that the tearing of the temple but in 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 um in the gospel of thomas yeah it says split a piece of wood and i am there lift up a stone and you will find me in other words spirit is everywhere and deity is everywhere and you know christ being the representative of all of us is is in all things and yeah the thing that always struck me about that one is uh that he, what he's talking about splitting of the log under the stone mm. these are dark hidden places mm. in nature he's not saying mm. look into the sun you know, mm. look into the light and I'll be there. No, he's saying mm. I'm in the dark hidden places, mm. which mm. is just, mm. I mean, so pagan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> no, no, no wonder a lot of Christians get nervous with the gospel of Thomas and, mm. <laughs> you know, cause it does, it does sound very pagan. Yeah. yeah. And very uh, universal. Like um, some of those things in John or in gospel of Thomas. Well, first of all, I just want to, um, kind of um highlight what uh you went over quite quickly but the, yeah. that um uh separating out the the trinity of jesus i think as you referred yeah. to it so yeah. on one hand we've got the historical jesus the man yeah um, and then we've got the the, the cosmic christ or mm. the christ consciousness mm. universal christ and then the third part of that is the jesus christ of the church where mm -hmm. Jesus has been fused with the Christ and um, mm. it's only through him, mm. that kind of idea. And mm. I think that's really helpful. Um, and then once you do that, you can start to see, uh, you know, who's speaking at any given moment. Is it yeah. Jesus, the rabbinical man? Um, is it the Christ? Like in John, a lot of that mm. I think is the Christ speaking in yeah. this universal way that shouldn't be taken so literally and ascribed mm. to Jesus, the man. Yeah. And then in the church, the, you can see the fusion where it gets mm. all muddled, the, mm. the, the metaphoric with the literal and um, 
all of that. Yeah. But like you said, he was like a crazy wisdom teacher. Like he, he said, mm. look, I only teach in parables. Mm. <laughs> None of this mm. is going to be um, super clear. Mm. Like these are kind mm. of riddles that you have to wrestle mm. with yourself. Mm. And mm. in that wrestling, I think you come to a more authentic spirituality. Mm. Yeah. That, 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 that's a rewire you really. That's a, that's a totally screw, screw your brain up. And yeah. And like you, put a, yeah, put a um, like, kind of stop the rational mind. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think yeah. of like putting a spoke or a stick in the spokes of the bicycle, and it's just like yeah. uh, it turns everything upside down. Yeah, yeah. And and um, there's there's a um a wonderful teacher I've been reading a lot of lately called Cynthia Bourgeau. I yeah. don't know if you've come across it. She 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 believes um, and I think. Um, I think again, it's one of these things that is by and large accepted as as reality now. That that Jesus didn't just come out of the blue; he came from a tradition, he came from a wisdom tradition of the Near East and probably the the East that has found its way over. Um, and um, while he, I mean, some some people believe that he possibly had connections with the Essene community, though they were much more pure, uh, much more of a sort of purity. Um, uh, aesthetic sort of community that Jesus was clearly um, but there's there's this parable giving tradition you know within within ancient Judaism that, that was there in a similar way that the um, the, the, the Zen coins are you know the teachers are, are using those little almost like little spiritual traps to, to to trap you and shock you out of that that conscious mind or the rational mind um, which is why we don't get them, which I, I, you know, I read, I read them and I don't get them. And then suddenly you, you, you see with a new set of eyes and you do get them, you know, they, they seem so unfair. And so in a way, unjust, some of the, some of the stories that he told until you look at them through, well, I, I, I've got a little chapel in my garden now, cause I, I don't, I don't um, go to a um, established church anymore, but I, I like to have a little sort of holy place. And um, more recently I've been sort of reconnecting to my kind of, mystical christianity um so i built a little chapel which is it's, it's quite sort of orthodox in its way as in eastern orthodox and i made a stained stained glass window and i i, I painted the story of the prodigal son on it because to me that's that is one of those incredible parables which it does shock people because it doesn't sort of work out the way it's supposed to in in you know he, he he's a guy who's um you know, he's basically acted as if his dad's dead. Give me my money ahead of my inheritance ahead of time. And then, and then blows it all on wild living. Comes back, his son's pretty pissed off with him. Sorry, his, his, um, his brother is pretty pissed off with it. Yeah, even like with his the, dad. the good brother who stuck around yeah. and was yeah. the dutiful son and all of that. Yeah. It's like, come yeah. on, like, how are you yeah. greeting this guy who's just been yeah. off, like, running wild? <laughs> and we all, we, if we're honest, we all relate to that older brother, you know, the... And yet, I, I rewrote that in a previous book, actually, because I used to run a, a retreat called The Gospel of Falling Down, and it was it was very much mm -hmm. along those lines. And um, and I, I I rewrote it for three people to read. Um, There's the father, the son, and the other son, and then to look at each of them as a as a voice within all of us. So we all have that father figure in us. We all have that. Uh, rebellious son and we all all have the dutiful son uh figure within us 
And, you know, the guy who comes out the worst in it is really the one who's the best behaved, you know, and it sort of throws it all on its head. And But then when you look at it through these other eyes of the generosity of the divine and, and the beauty of the humble person who is who he or she is, um, the authentic self, and the person who's brave enough to... I don't think there's a classic repentance in that story. He just comes back because he's selfish and you know, he doesn't have a change of mind. But there's, but he breaks when his father hugs him and then he melts. And that's the kind of the healing, the person mm. who is, who, who's met head on with love, pure, unconditional love, and then melts into his arms. I mean, I think it's a beautiful picture and it's, it's something that, um, you know, f we all play certainly the two son roles in, in our lives. And um, and maybe there's a bit of the father too, you know, this this unconditional. I mean, it's also a, a story that, of course, well, all of Jesus' stories are pre-cross. You know, he, uh, nobody saw the cross coming. You know, um, us fundamentalists would say it's all a big plan, but I don't believe Jesus would have known what was going to happen. So he's telling these stories ahead of the cross. So some say, well, where's where's the cross in that story? Well, the cross is in the father looking out longingly, hoping that his son comes back. That's the pain. The cross represents human pain and um, not as an ugly sacrificial sim symbol of, of a, an angry, um, you know, blood sacrifice to an angry deity, but as a an outpouring of, of beautiful human love, which is painful, you know, which hurts. So that's that's mm. the cross in that story. I'm waffling on, aren't I? I, I tend to do no, that. I, <laughs> no, I love listening to it. Um, you know, that is a really striking story. And I, I love how you wrote it out so that um, people could find themselves in the myth. I mean, mm. that's something that uh, mythopoetic teachers will often do is, um, you know, pay attention to what part of the story or what character in the story uh, really jumps out at you. Yeah. And kind yeah. of hone in on that and try to try to get into that part of it because mm, mm. um, there's something in you that's resonating with that mm, aspect of mm. the story and uh yeah there's something about that the um the embracing uh forgiving father being i think you know the way i would look at it is that's the christ in us that's the yeah. capacity we have for that depth of love yeah um, and that's yeah. one of the things that kind of got me started on this latest round of wrestling with uh, Christianity is because mm. I found myself in the jungles of Peru drinking ayahuasca. And um, after this kind of uh, death experience being consumed by this anaconda um, being completely torn apart, then coming out of that and having this experience of, uh, of Christ consciousness mm. and what was kind of resonating through me was this is what it's like to love like Christ. Mm. And what I found is it was such an expanded state of consciousness that it mm. was completely inclusive, uh, completely accepting of everything. Uh, people with all of their idiosyncrasies and their, mm. their, um, their faults and, you know, misdeeds and everything. And, you know, the catastrophes of the world, it was mm. consciousness big enough that it just allowed everything to be as it is. Yeah. And what I felt at the core of that was just absolute peace. Yeah. Just like, mm. it's all good. 
it mm. really is all good. Mm. And I mean, you know, I think it's, I, I wrote about it in a little book that I put out and I called it the final lesson. Cause mm -hmm. to me, it sets such a high watermark for <laughs> the rest of my life. It's not something that I don't think I'll ever be able to fully integrate, but mm. it gives me a kind of marker of what's possible. Cause mm. it was so experiential. Like I felt it, there was just no denying yeah. it. Yeah. And then afterwards I had to wonder like, well, what the hell was that experience? Was that something mm. that my, um, you know, my individual psyche concocted for me mm. and um, based on my Christian background, just associated it with Jesus Christ and, mm. um, or was it the, the actual uh, energy or power mm. of Christ, you know? Mm. Mm. So, I mean, Incredible. I'm kind of agnostic about it. I don't know, yeah. but the experience was real. And so I yeah. had to yeah. really wrestle with it and I yeah. continued to. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. But in a way, it's, that, was, that sounds like a life, death, resurrection experience, doesn't it? You know, the way you just described it. So, in a sense, it, it, it would tap into um, that archetype. Um, I, I had a, I had an experience when I first um, joined a, a particular Druid group. Um, I said I'm on the Welsh border. We'd, about 50 miles from here, there's a, there's a waterfall, beautiful um, place in, in nature, um, and a cave with um, very jagged rocks inside. And I was I was given an initiation rite for this particular group, and I was taken into this cave, and I had to kneel on my knees for quite a long time it was quite painful um and it was described to me as a as a as a death as a burial and uh, but also as a womb and mm. coming out and and i and even though it was a beautifully rich pagan uh, earthy ritual i could i i had to also relate it to to my life death resurrection stories of jesus you know, because it, it was just them, and and that's why that is a universal archetype, and it doesn't belong to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think there's so many overlaps, and um, you know, it's I don't know, it's just integrating it is the hard thing, isn't it? Really working out how it all fits together. But but to me, I I, I whenever I whenever I sort of get myself too convinced of something that that feels verging on the exclusive i feel like i put a straight jacket on and i and i have to mm -hmm. get rid of it um yeah. and <laughs> some of us are just built that way you know like <laughs> like you said well jung really helped me kind of um uh, i don't want to say resolve it's it's the wrong word but kind of uh come to a place of acceptance about mm -hmm. the um kind of multifaceted polytheistic nature of things um 
by seeing the underlying archetypal pattern, like you said, um, mm. because if you're seeing that that's what's manifesting in all these different stories and personal experiences, uh, it makes sense mm. in a way. Um, mm. And mm. then it also allows for the, uh, for the different expressions of that particular archetypal pattern. And, and it's yeah. like, well, it's all okay. Cause at the core, it's uh, it's like a universal truth or reality that's just expressing in, in, in different colorful ways. And uh, mm. yeah. So Jung for me was like a bridge in a way to the way I think of it is like a bridge between my modern rational mind uh, mm. and the mythic mind, which is uh, just, you know, loves the stories and, and loves mm. many stories and is okay mm. with, uh, you know, uh, polytheism or mm. pantheism, however we think about it. Um, mm. Mm. Yeah. Kind of like a place, like a place to hold the tension of those opposites, you know, the mind that yeah. wants to concretize and to exclude mm. and define mm. and all of that mm. with like, mm. what a, you know, the soul, which is just like, Hey, look, mm. it's all mm. beautiful. It's all part of this great tapestry. Mm. Don't get so mm. hung up mm. on the details mm. and definitions, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, like, uh, one part of your story I wanted to ask you about, um, I don't know if it's clear to people, but you were actually an ordained minister in the Church of England, right? Mm -hmm. like back, back in the 90s. And then somewhere along the way, uh, you had like, I think what you call is like a fall. Um, mm. And then this contact with paganism, which ignited something in you. So like, yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, as I said at the very beginning, I came into Christianity through Pentecostalism, um, and um, and even though it, it it's probably what I needed to to sort of spark a strike a match for me, my mind is naturally um, liberal thinking. You know, I, I'm always asking questions, and the Pentecostal tr tradition, for all its good, is very narrow in terms of its. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it has a very fundamentalist take on scriptures and, and you just don't ask questions. Um, so I, I kind of squeeze, I, I find myself being squeezed out of that tradition. Um, kind of very long story short, I ended up in the Church of England. I'd been brought up in the Church of England school and the Church of England has um, has three distinct traditions within it. It has a liberal tradition, but also has a very Catholic tradition and a very evangelical tradition so it was so it was natural for me as a as a pentecostal to first of all go into the evangelical part of the church of england um and then i then i became i kind of while i was a pentecostal I, I i had this strong feeling of ministry you know that i was called to be a pastor uh, that came with me into the church of england and very quickly um i became an ordinance so i started training for the ministry but during that time, I also started, as they call it, climbing the candle, which means going from the evangelical to the Catholic end. Um, and through through the liberal, I mean, I'm, I'm a natural liberal, but um, but I loved the ritual. I, I discovered, in fact, I discovered the ritual of the high church within Israel. I, I went to Israel for about four months to try and clear my head. And I came back totally mind blown, not because of the the natural sort of holy places which were very special but because of the very ornate and 
and beautifully ritualistic Catholic and Orthodox churches. So um, anyway, I ended up uh, being ordained in the Church of England as a sort of um, middle way, quite slightly high church um, priest. In um, I'm I'm now in Lampster, Herefordshire, on the Welsh border. I was ordained about 15 miles north of here in a little church in um, Ludlow. Um, then I came to Lempster as, as my second post. And the story that you referred to as a fall, it's, um, it's not anything I'm proud of, but my, I, I was married and um, with two beautiful children and my marriage was pretty rocky. Um, and I was, while I was here in this town as the vicar, I, I, I went through a massive sort of breakdown, but both in terms of my, my marriage fell apart, but also me myself um you know it was it was pretty difficult because you, you're so on show to the world going through this stuff and i made the biggest mistake i've ever made in my life which was I, I during this time i i had a relationship with someone else um now that's all i'm going to say about that it was um very silly mistake but two years later when when or, what, two years after it had all been sort of dealt with I was about then to go to another church south of the diocese. I've been through um, interviews and was ready to be made vicar of this church. And I just knew in myself, because I'd have to go through a ritual where the bishop would lay his hand on my head and pray for the spirit to blah, blah, blah. I knew that I had to tell him my story. So I went and made a confession um, and, um, and the result of that was that he said, you need to resign, um, oh. which was, that, that's fine. I mean, that was the, that was the sort of risk I was, I needed to take, I knew I needed to take that risk. Um, so he said, hold on, there's no, there's no absolution. I mean, I thought that was the point of like, they can't use confession well, against you. <laughs> I, 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 all I'm saying is what happened. I I I, I took yeah. advice from from various friends of mine, clergy, all of you said oh. you're, you're stupid, mate. <laughs> but I said no. I've got. I've, I keep your I've mouth got, shut. <laughs> I, I said I got. I got to do this. No, I, I knew I had to, and it well, was good right, on you. It, it was the right thing to do. But yeah, um, and I mean, my bishop probably would say, well, it was in it was informal confession, so the seal of the confession wasn't necessary. Mm. Or what, whatever. Whatever. The point point is, and I don't in any way um, blame. The, the person it was it was me um needing to clear my conscience and um do what the book said i wonder if i wonder if like unconsciously uh some part of you knew that this would screw up yeah. the, the trajectory you were on you <laughs> it, know it may be um one of my friends um a, a wonderful druid leader called philip cargom he um he said he said to me sometimes and he used the analogy of a of a, a mother and a, a, a about to give birth and he said i don't know if this is true but i've been told that when when the baby kind of psychologically knows it's time to escape this very warm and safe environment of the womb a certain substance is secreted into the the waters that will make it um a toxic place for that baby to stay so in order to be born it needs to and i mean i don't he said i don't know whether that's true it might be a a, a myth but, but it's a beautiful analogy for 
what it I think happened to me. Uninhabitable in order exactly. to force yeah. the expulsion from paradise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So oh. maybe there's something in that. Maybe maybe underneath, I I knew that that's what I had to do in order to escape the rigidity of the church. And I still, I have to say, I still love the Church of England. I've got friends and family within it. Um, I couldn't be a minister within it myself now because I feel it would be too small for my crazy head. But uh, but I I I um I was given the the gift of being told to resign. <laughs> so so and I did and, and I was given the time, you know, three years, and then you can come back. After those three years, I'd learned so much, and well, I'd I'd been into the I. I'd, swam in the pagan waters you know i'd i'd done gay weddings i'd done so many things i couldn't do as an anglican priest that i thought i can't mm. possibly come back so i, I moment momentarily had my orders um they call it a, oh your little dog <laughs> <laughs> she just woke up uh, they, they they call it pto permission to officiate so i had that back and then the day after i had that letter i sent it back saying thank you very much but i I can't. And at that point, I left for good. Um, I, I severed my orders and I um, joined another, um, an independent, much more free thinking church, which is what I'm still in. And and I'm still able to be part of everything else. I have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's that story. Um, well, if I could just ask you about um, your encounter with Druidry and, and paganism. Yeah. Like, was yeah. it somebody you met at the pub or, you know, how'd that come about? No, I, I mean, I'd, when I look back, I've always been fascinated by um, things in terms of magic and earth-based religion. And, I mean, magic, I, I'm a member of the Magic Circle and have been for, for a couple of decades, as in, conjuring and that is a symbolic way of performing magic you know so it's even that even though that sounds kind of a little bit odd um conjuring magic or sleight of hand magic is a mimic of, of real magic and so even that shows me that way way back i was fascinated by things that shouldn't happen think things you know, the unexplained and psychic things um and through my training and through my sort of experience in the Church of England, I was always one to bring in like Tibetan Buddhists to come and do their stuff in, in my church and um, New Age things, you know, crystals. I was always bringing things into the church that other people would perhaps frown at. But I thought, you know, we needed to be open to if we're, if we're honest about following Christ, who was open. We need to be. So in a sense, um, there's no surprise that when I found myself on the outside of the Church of England, the the place that I knew I had to really explore was paganism. And I wrote, I just mentioned Philip Cargom. I, I wrote to him because I, I knew of him. I knew that, I knew he was the chief of the, the Order of Bards, Obates and Druids, which is a big Druid, Druid organization. That, that was the first one I kind of learned about. And lovely man, he invited me to go and speak at their um, winter gathering at Glastonbury in, in Somerset in England. And um, there was about 300 Druid pagans there. Um, I say pagans, Druids there, because some wouldn't say they're pagan. Um, and I, I was invited to go and perform as a, um, a vicar who did, who, who did magic, which was very The strange. novelty of that. <laughs> so you've got, and, and have you heard of, 
Have you heard of Professor Ronald Hutton, um, historian? No, no. no. So um, it, it was hilarious because I, I was asked to do this mind reading um, session and I, ha I had Ronald Hutton um, reading his mind, Philip Cargom, a couple of others. I also noticed someone in the audience who um, who I knew, I, I'd known back in my Pentecostal days, and I thought, that's interesting. So I, I, at one stage, I, I asked, hands up, how many of you used to be, used to see yourself as Christian? Of course, nearly all of their hands went up. And when I said Catholic, most of them. So it's very interesting that a lot of people who, because Catholicism is a very magical form of Christianity at its best. You know, mm -hmm. it's very symbolic and... Um, uh, so, uh, you know, a, a lot of people who, who obviously had a deep spirituality but couldn't express it within traditional Christianity have, have found their way into Druidry and, and I, I imagine other forms of paganism. And that 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 night changed my life because I, I went there as, a, as an ex-vicar um, and was introduced as a vicar. And I spent the whole night there and not one of them so many people came up to talk to me, but not one of them tried to influence me in any way. Now, you try and reverse that, you yeah, know, right. 300 Christians and a pagan comes and spends the night with them. How many times are they going to try and convert them? <laughs> you know, so I thought, well, this is just wonderful. These people walk their talk, you know, the gen genuine, um, very... Uh, very welcoming, very hospitable, but also incredibly exciting, this sort of stuff that we were talking about. And um, that's a long time ago. That's about 15 years. Um, but that's how it, that's how my sort of introduction into Druidry uh, happened. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what I call myself now. I have no idea. I, I you know, I say, am I Christian? Am I Druid? Am I... I'm happy to use any of these titles as long as they're not exclusivized. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very wary of the term Christian. I know what I mean by it, but I also know what others do, and that's what scares me, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can relate. Yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky. Like, mm. even when I was calling myself, like, um, a pagan Christian, it's like, mm. yeah, that Christian really stands out in high relief um, and it has a lot of associations for, mm. for people from our cultures, right? Mm. Mm. So it's like, yeah, I always want to add like the asterisk and go, well, not, mm. not that kind of Christian, you know, but like I have this relationship with this yeah. entity, this power, yeah. this person, um, but it's complicated. And it's very complicated. And if you start to really sort of, de-churchify and say I'm a friend of Jesus that sounds even worse because <laughs> you think my god the... <laughs> that sounds so sort of born again <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, oh, yeah I just you know I, I guess like he, he's on my altar uh but really for me like um the symbol of the sacred heart is more mm -hmm. powerful than any depictions of that person Jesus because I mean I think that's the real mystery um, mm. well, at the heart of the Christ. Um, mm. Mm. And, and I love those those paintings of him where he's kind of opening his robes and he's like subtly pointing at this burning mm. heart in his chest, mm. you know, and some mm. of them are quite gruesome where he's like mm. ripping open his yeah. chest to show you. <laughs> and I always felt like what he's saying in that um, is like, look, here's where, here's what it's all about. You know, forget all of that other stuff. It's right here and it's within mm. you. Mm. Mm. And um, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I've got like the picture of the Sacred Heart on my altar, along with, you know, Mm. Asclepius and Ganesha Mm. and Mm. (laughs) some totem Mm. animals from the land here. Mm. And Mm. um, there's something about the the pagan mindset that is inclusive. Yeah. You know, which I think is is so important for us. Well, maybe us kind of, um, I don't know what do we call the misfits, you know, the spiritual mm. misfits where it's just mm. so hard for us to fit into any boxes. Mm. Like mm. Yeah. Um, it gives us a kind of uh, a home in a way and mm. maybe a place mm. to find some others. You mm. Know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Misfits, misfits is a good, good description. I mean, I, um, I often look at the, the sort of people that, again, going back to Jesus, the sort of people that, that most related to him and they seem to be misfits you know they they <laughs> they, 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 they they certainly weren't comfortable on the inside of any institution um and they were pretty much spat upon and um victimized and you know he, he seemed to have time for them and and he himself you know if there's ever a, a misfit messiah i mean you know or a, I, I'm, I'm still fascinated by the the, the the person of Jesus and I another thing that I find happening to me is no matter what I get into and recently it's been the cosmos I'm just I've got a bloody big telescope behind me because mm. I, I just bought this and I love looking at because it's you know you're talking you look at Andromeda galaxy it's 39 mil, billion billion miles away I mean it's just totally mind-blowing um and and yeah and I've I don't find it in any way sort of threatening to, to my faith i find it expansive but whenever i get more i, don't, I find myself being taken over by a, a subject i sooner or later i start to feel almost a little lost and and i have to come home mm-hmm. uh, and the and the coming home is actually to my little chapel with the icon of jesus icon of mary that's 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 my coming home and it's yeah. Um, and it, it would be, I'm sure if I was Indian, it would be Ganesha and Krishna, you know, it, it's not that it's Jesus and Mary, but it's, that's my home, you know, um, it's mm-hmm. like, it's, uh, and I, I, you know, I was reading through some of my stuff just because I, I wanted to refresh, um, myself with, with the things in, in the Jesus through pagan eyes book. And, um, you know, some of the, some of the things that, one of the things I, I recapped was the um, the word metanoia, which um, is the word translated repent. Um, and I've I discovered again today that it it does not mean what what these Bible bashing Christians think it means. It means to go beyond the mind. So it's it's again it's it's almost psychology, you know, to go beyond the mind, to go beyond the rational mind and to rewire yourself into this other mind this expansive um christ consciousness stuff i mean it's it's just there's so much there and this is all pre-psychology you know it's um well i think jung would say that it was psychology yeah they they didn't have a that word for it yeah yeah because there was no kind of split at sure. that point so psychology religion mythology mm. they all they all uh served uh that kind of function 
Yeah, um, yeah. But you're right. Yeah, like the way those terms even have been mistranslated and and dogmatized. Mm. Um, you have to really get down. You have to get down to the roots of some of these words mm. to uncover mm. their true meaning. And and that mm. for me, that kind of uh, etymological archaeology or mm. uh, alchemy, almost like getting down mm. to the fundament of it. That's been really helpful in me and kind of um, the way I think of it is decolonizing my mind and kind of opening myself up to the big mind and to mm. that more expansive consciousness. Uh, mm. Mm. And then just kind of relaxing into that, like it feels like mm. a relaxing mm. Mm. into my natural uh, proclivity toward <laughs> polytheism or mm. nature based spirituality and things like that. Mm. And then in that, um, Jesus becomes kind of like a brother or a companion mm. in a way, mm. Mm. you know? Yeah, which, which, which is clearly what the Thomas Jesus, from going back to the, the Gospel of Thomas, it's much more like an older brother figure, um, almost like a mirror, you know, a human mirror to show you what you are rather than um, a kind of divine light to show you what you're not. You know, and, and, yeah, well, doesn't Thomas mean the twin or something? Yeah, like that? exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so taken that way, as mm. uh, you know, then it's like Jesus mm. is kind of like my my divine twin or something, mm. and um, mm. just like he had these two sides. You mm. know, on one hand, there's a story. <laughs> this is my favorite story from all the Gospels because I think it shows the the human side, like it's like the man side of the God Man. Mm. You know, mm. uh, where they're out. Um, walking around doing their ministry thing um and they come across they're all really hungry it's been a few days probably since they ate and they come across a fig tree and everyone gets excited oh here comes like a little little snack and uh it turns out that the fig tree is not fruiting there's no there's no figs on the tree and like christ instead of performing a miracle and having all these figs like bloom out of the tree and feed everyone he curses the fig tree he's like damn you for all time for not giving us your, your fruit yeah yeah and i'm yeah, like what yeah. a petty kind of thing like yeah yeah you know and i thought like i talked to a client once a counseling client um, who was kind of lamenting over her reactivity in her relationship. And I said, look, even Jesus got hangry, mm. you know? Yeah. I don't know if you know this term. It's maybe a North American thing, but hangry is like when you're, when you get angry because you're hungry. Right, right. You're hang, you're hangry. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like even Jesus uh, got hangry. Yeah. So yeah, take absolutely. it easy on yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, why would they leave that story in the gospel? Because, um, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could kind of interpret that to spin it, but it it, mm. it, it shows Jesus in an all too human light. Yeah, and it, I mean that what you just said. Why would they leave that in? That's a, a hallmark for saying that it's an authentic story. It's it's one of one of the one of the criterion that the the Jesus scholar that the historical Jesus scholars use is if anything seems so out of character and almost embarrassing that it'd be easy enough to remove, but it's still in there. It, it says it probably did happen, like statements like, um, you know, let the dead bury the dead or or the, the very embarrassing um, when he almost gets put right by a, is it a Samaritan woman? No, Syrophoenician woman who um, is talking about, he's having a meal with his disciples and, and a, a woman from another culture comes up and um asks for some food and and, and he says no <laughs> she says well can i can i eat the scraps you know, even the dogs eat the scraps from under the table 
Yeah. And and you know, it's like he's calling he's calling her a dog. I mean, it's terrible. She's like a gentile dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, but then he but then he seems to kind of see how wrong he was. And it's an example of the son of God who we all the, the, the Orthodox would say is totally sinless, actually made a balls up and then corrected himself and, you know, almost apologized. I mean, I find it astonishing and beautiful because, you know, this, this makes Jesus relatable to this makes him human and, um, mm -hmm. You know the, the 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 weeping tears like blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's so many of these very human pictures that um, are very often left out. You know by by the people who want him to be the great savior Messiah, who's totally sinless and perfect. Yeah. You know. Well, that that story that you just told. I mean, I think that's a great example of like metanoia of that uh -huh. yeah. change of heart that can come about. Uh, like in in most unexpected, usually unexpected ways, like not mm. something that you're um, trying to make happen, mm. um, but it mm. just something strikes you in the moment and you call mm. that grace or, or whatever. Mm. But uh, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So help me out here, Druids. Mm. Is this... Um, is this like a, a kind of uh, regressive fantasy of like what our ancient ancestors used to do? Or, I mean, <laughs> what's the, what's it based on? It's always never been clear to me. Um, it sounds wonderful. And it sounds like my kind of mm. people um, yeah. hanging out in nature, drinking mead and ale and yeah. uh, honoring yeah. the natural elements and the passing of the seasons and all of that. Like, all right, sign me up. But uh, <laughs> is it um, based on an actual tradition that we know about, or is it kind of an imaginative reconstruction, something mm. like that? Yeah, I, th I think Druids are a very honest group of people, and, and they would say it's a bit of both. Um, and um, from my experience, uh, and I've kind of been loosely part of the, the scene for about 15 years, um, the, the, the very modern pagan Druid movements um, probably began around the same time as, as Wicca was formed, you know, with Gerald Gardner. Ross Nichols was the, was the name um, who we associate with, the, with the, that current revival of, of Druidry. And they were great friends and one went into one direction and one went the other. Um, so modern Druidry is, is, is quite distinctively pagan. Um, it does have it's it's very open to other religions, and there are plenty of Christian druids. But generally speaking, they follow the the the, the Celtic pagan um, stories. Um, the uh, the um, I was going to say a word then that I might get wrong. Mabinobinog. So there's, there's a set of books that the Welsh um, uh, Welsh. Uh, sort of um almost like um greek mythology but but a, a welsh version you know gods and goddesses and what wonderful set of stories taliesin the bard and um and so they they plug into that kind of um philosophy and spirituality there is pre the the current modern day druidry there's there, there's what they call revival druidry which is a couple of hundred years old and more of interestingly more christian base because it because it was 
largely Christian groups who were trying to um, plug back into something quite romantic and, and what they considered to be ancient. And then, of course, the, the ancient Druids themselves, we know almost nothing about. Um, we have a little bit from Caesar and, and a few other Roman um, writers, but it's quite negative. They, they probably were um, a high caste um, priestly group within Celtic cultures, um, probably seen as the, the, the wise men, maybe political, but certainly spiritual leaders. Um, there was also bards who are part of that movement and ovates, which are probably similar to what we currently mean as a witches, you know, wise, wise people, seers. Um, but yeah, the, the, they're, they're a wonderful group of people who walk, walk the talk and are very honest about the fact that some of it has probably been been stolen from other cultures or made up. <laughs> yeah, or, or um, you know, because a lot of these old traditions were oral, there, yeah. nothing was ever written down, right? So no. um, if it gets uh, persecuted or suppressed along the way, we, we sever the connection to that that tradition and that lineage. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, we see this in more recent times with what happened here in North America with the First Nations people. Yeah. And then yeah. what ends up happening uh, when trying to recreate, when there's a kind of renewal of the tradition, is you have to look to uh, unbroken traditions for yeah. to get like an inkling of what your own ancestors were probably doing. And so they're tends to be this uh, intermingling of uh, traditions in a way, mm, um, mm. you know, the, the kind of the severed tradition, having to pick up something from a, a living tradition. And mm. we see this like everywhere, but it sounds like that's what's happened maybe with mm. Druidry. And mm, mm, I like the fact mm. that they're just honest about it and upfront mm. about it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, you know, and also what strikes me when you when you talk about it uh, is someone like St. Francis of Assisi. I mean, look, my, my personal opinion is that the, every once in a while, some charismatic mystical person would uh, would come up and start uh, start attracting attention. And instead of the church trying to uh, ignore them and pretend they don't exist or, or or whatever they kind of like they draw them they enfold them in the church by making them a saint but really <laughs> like they can be very problematic figures like when you mm. look at um saint francis's prayers um mm. and the canticles to the sun and moon and things like that i mean come on the guy was clearly a, a pagan mm. yeah <laughs> talking dead yeah. birds and... yeah 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 absolutely brother fire and sister wind and yeah i mean it's, it's, it's totally great tight. it's fantastic yeah 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 like well, when i'm looking for like um christian prayers that kind of fit within my my worldview um yeah. he's one of the few that i find where i i can really um feel good about that me, prayer me too. you know i wear a franciscan cross um so san damiano is the one that spoke to him um uh, in the little broken down church but yeah i've got a huge affinity to to Francis. Um, and I, I mentioned Father Richard Rohr earlier on. Um, he's a wonderful Catholic spiritual teacher uh, from the Franciscan tradition, uh, talks about cosmic Christ and um, does stuff on the Enneagram. Um, wonderfully switched on guy. I, I did a, uh, you, you did, the, was it Peru that you did your vision quest? I, 
I, mm -hmm. I did one with I did one with Rich Richard Raw in um, uh, New Mexico, in uh, just I think it's just um, west of Santa Fe, a place called Ghost Ranch, and that had a very very much a, a death resurrection experience as well, where we we symbolically uh, died um, with this very powerful ritual where we we drew blood on ourselves, and I mean it was it was, a, it was amazing. Um, Considering it was it was a Roman Catholic retreat and we were dancing around fires naked, <laughs> it was incredible. Well, yeah, Richard Rohr, he was, I think, um, quite influenced by the mythopoetic men's movement, and yeah. and I think he even started his own men's circles that yeah. uh, drew on, um, you know, what people like Robert Bly and Michael Mead had done in the nineties, yeah. but uh, put it in more of a a Christian context, but a mm. obviously non-dogmatic mm. Christian context, mm. right? Mm. 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 Uh, yeah. What's the word for that? Is it ecumenical, like a kind of uh, Christianity that's open to other faiths? Is that the right? Yeah, word? I mean, you, you, usually ecumenical means it means a Christianity that's open to other Christian faiths. So, oh. so, it's, <laughs> so it's beyond that. It's got interfaith, I suppose, in, interreligious interfaith. It's um, like we accept everyone: yeah. the Protestants, yeah. the Catholics. The... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I love I love Richard Raw. I mean, he he um, more than any other person within Christian ministry, he's been like a, a, a mentor figure to me for twenty two years. Um, partly because that period where I was very much a broken, sort of wounded person, his material on what he calls the spirituality of imperfection really spoke mm -hmm. to me. Um, and um you know the the metaphors that he used and he just felt safe you know that that's one of the things about what well, I, I i kind of judge whether a teacher or a, a personality is is kind of in that you know in, in in the other mindset by whether they frighten the hell of, hell out of you or not because you know i if, if i if i was to tell my story to a person I, i'm thinking now of two different people I know that Rich, someone like Richard Raw, he would just embrace you and 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 uh, hold that no matter what you said, and um, it's just a an all-embracing openness, which I can imagine why people were attracted to Jesus, you know, and other spiritual teachers like that. But yeah, when you like got all so those misfits feeling safe, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're feeling a sense of judgment or disapproval. Or any of those kind of e egotistical, um, then it, it's gonna it's gonna affect your ego as well, and and the defenses are gonna come up, and so it's maybe that's what that word mirror, you know, or the twin Thomas, you know, maybe that maybe what that's what that's about, you know, finding people who can mirror back to you the beauty of your own soul. Well, uh, I know it's just reminded of the the way you um, kind of expanded or interpreted the prodigal son. Mm. story you know and so it sounds like richard Rohr really yeah. embodies that father energy absolutely that, uh, yeah that uh, embraces the wayward son mm. you know absolutely. probably absolutely. because he's he's been a wayward son himself you know mm. i think that's what mm. it takes mm. it's like mm. yeah takes one to know one. yeah 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 <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and mm. to know one is to love one yeah <laughs> Uh, well, that's great. I was going to ask you if there have been any kind of guiding lights for you in your, you know, on your way uh, as you kind of fumble through uh, 
pagan Christianity and like, you know, like mm. myself, like, so Richard Rohr being one that's been helpful. Um, I heard Cynthia Bourgeau in, in terms of yeah, like yeah. connecting to the, that Christ within, I think she's real yeah. kind of from the mystical contemplative tradition. And I yeah. think from what I can tell of her, she's really, um, she's really embodying something authentic. It's yeah. not like she's just talking about mysticism and cosmic Christ, but I feel like she's someone who's really in tune with that. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's lived it um, every day of her life for, you know, for decades. I mean, you know, she, she's, she's walking the talk as they say. Others, um, Henri Nuon, um, he's, he's deceased now. He's a wonderful, uh, very, again, a wounded healer, um, Roman Catholic uh, priest. It's funny that, you know, I, they tend to be Catholic priests for me, or or, or um, Cynthia Bourgeau isn't, but then she's steeped in Benedictine spirituality, so in a sense that's Catholic. It's funny, um, yeah. Um, so, was, sorry, give me that name again, Henri. Henri Nuon, yeah, it, it's Nuon, um, Nuon yeah. It, it's it's spelt Henry, but it's Henri Nuon. Um, he was a French, um, I think, Jesuit. Uh, another wonderful Jesuit priest is Gerard Hughes who wrote a book called God of Surprises and another called God in All Things uh, they're beautiful books um, Matthew Fox another massive light within yeah. this uh, for me yeah. I, I like kind of um, what Matthew Fox is doing but something about his writing um, the way he kind of uh, embodies the teachings um, never really resonated with me for right. some reason but like right. man i yeah. appreciate him and i kind of love mm. what he's all about mm. but mm. uh it's kind of not enough earthiness or darkness to yeah. him i think for sure. me you know yeah 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 no, i get that yeah yeah uh in the pagan world I, i've mentioned philip cargom his his books are wonderful for people interested well, that's great because in, i was going to ask about like if people are interested in learning a little bit about uh druidry yeah. or, or yeah what a paganism but specifically yeah. Druidry, Philip Cargam yeah. would be one yeah. of the go-tos. Absolutely. And also um, Emma Restel Orr, um, she is a wonderful teacher, pa uh, Druid, pa pagan priestess, Druid, um, Emma Restel Orr. She, uh, she's just got away with words. She's, she's, she writes with such poetry and mm -hmm. and with with real wisdom beautiful books yeah um mm, it's um there's there's a there's a lovely introduction to paganism by joyce and Hig uh, joyce and river higginbotham i don't know whether they're a canadian or american but that's a very but good they're book. in uh they're in your book right yeah 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 kind of coined yeah. the term christopagan that's it yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I tried to track them down. They're, you know, they're pretty quiet in terms of. Uh, I, could, I don't think I could find a website. I found right. an old like Facebook page, but right, right. Uh, uh, I'll see if I can look uh, them up. All these uh, druids or pagans are, you know, maybe not so much on the technology side of things. You know, the self promotion. <laughs> they're just like off yeah. in the woods, happily doing their thing. You know, and who can blame them? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's great. And then of course. Um, yeah, there's your book, uh, Jesus Through Pagan Eyes, which is great mm. because it collects a lot of uh, stories and essays from uh, from other mm. people. Um, yeah. 
and so you get a real kind of wide swath of uh, perspectives which is really yeah. fun um yeah. yeah oh it's fantastic it's it's just really nice to to meet you um you know mm. kind of feel like a kinship with you yeah. and yeah, uh, it feels good for me to find other people who are kind of walking with um mm. i don't know with a foot in both worlds in both worlds <laughs> yeah, or yeah, two, at yeah. least two of, of yeah, the worlds yeah. who knows right yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so that's really nice and uh, yeah. i really appreciate you sharing your story with us and uh spending some time mm. thank you no, it's been lovely brian and stay in touch please because and if i if i come across anything else that might be um useful or whatever names or websites i'll i'll send them to you well, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll include yeah. a little um, resource list for people yeah. in the description great. of this episode, and uh, we'll let you know when sure. it's out. Lovely. Good. All right. Cheers. Fabulous. Thank you. Yeah, lovely talking. Take care. <laughs> Cheers, Brian. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Bye. The Medicine Path is produced by Brian James on unceded Coast Salish territory, Vancouver Island, Canada. For more information, visit brianjames.ca. Music by Olive Artizoni, a.k.a. Greenhouse. Join the Medicine Path tribe and gain early access to episodes and the full podcast archives at patreon.com forward slash medicine path. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rain fall soft upon your fields. Until the next time we meet on the Medicine Path. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.